It didn't listen to me. It walked out of the thicket. It turned around and looked at me. They looked up, and in this tree, there was a monkey man. And the monkey man jumped down out of the tree and started running away. And suddenly, they're right in front of the car. He slams on the brakes and manages to stop. He's skidding because it's not quite, you know, um, gravelling. And for, literally for about a second and a half, they just stood there because they don't know where to go. And you tell them panicking, they're like ripping. Their, their, their face is like twitching. back to Bigfoot Society. This is your host, Jeremiah Byron. Every week I talk to different people in the cryptozoology field. You never know who's going to be on next week. If you'd like to sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. You get access to a ton of things there, including a close-knit cryptid community on Discord where you can connect with like-minded cryptid researchers and enthusiasts, weekly bonus content, the ability to hang out with each week's guest after the main show, exclusive merch, and much, much more. Welcome back to another episode of Bigfoot Society. This week I get to talk to Chad Lewis, of course, one of the co-authors of the book on the Van Meter Visitor. Uh, I mean, it's the book on my favorite cryptid, uh, of course, as you know, if you're a listener to this podcast. But had a great chat with Chad all about, you know, how he got into the... uh, the whole chasing after legends and weird stuff. And we talked a lot about the Van Meter visitor, of course, cause he's the guy to talk to about it. So you're gonna, you're gonna love it. There's some info about the upcoming festival that uh, you need to be at. Uh, it's coming up on September 24th and uh, sit back, relax, enjoy this uh, chat with Chad Lewis. Uh, co-author of the Van Meter Visitor and many, many more books you should be checking out. But thanks for listening. All right, Bigfoot Society podcast. Thanks for coming back for another episode. Uh, I have the privilege of talking to Mr. Chad Lewis tonight. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Chad. Greetings from the Northwoods of Wisconsin. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I've been been wanting to to have you on for for a while, Chad. Um, You are... uh, you know, I'll just say, you know, you are uh inspiration to uh, myself and my buddies, you know, ever since we found out about the Van Meter Visitor Festival and um, just like, man, you know, looking into the Van Meter Visitor is like, that's, that whole legend is what makes me go out and, you know, look for other legends in Iowa. So thank you so much for what you do. Um, so I'm going to get the, the fanboy out of the way. We're going to. We can get that out of the way for a second. So let's get into the the bio. <laughs> let's all get of you guys, bio. you're all welcome at how cool and awesome I am. Just everybody's know, welcome. Right? Yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> um, let's go into the uh, the short bio that you provided. Uh, for nearly three decades, Chad Lewis has traveled the back roads of the world in search of the strange and unusual. Uh, the more bizarre and unusual the legend is, the more likely you will find Chad Lewis. And it's it's crazy. Like, you know, when I think of Chad Lewis, I think of like Midwestern cryptids, Midwestern lore, right? But 
going through some some research into to what you've done. I mean, Chad, you've literally gone all over the world. Uh, it, it's pretty fascinating. Um, I mean, we're going to focus, of course, as listeners are uh, probably thinking we're going to we're going to focus on the Van Meter visitor tonight because that's my you know favorite cryptid. I literally talk about it every episode, <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to make sure listeners are aware that Chad has also gone. Uh, you know, he's gone after different uh, UFO sites. He's gone uh, to look for the hellhounds, uh, the skunk ape, uh, Bigfoot, different different things besides the visitor. And um, yeah, I want to say you're you're just released. Is it your 26th book? That's correct. It's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, we have uh, you know a, um, a person in the comments. Um, Wendigo lore is one of their top five favorite paranormal books, you know, and that's uh that's pretty high, high praise. Um, but let's get right into it. So I'm curious. I, I'll always like to ask Chad, um, what is it that brought you into all, you know, the cryptids and legends in the beginning? What, what turned you to, to looking into all that stuff? Well, I really, for the last several decades, I've blamed it on my home state of Wisconsin. Because when I was in high school, I grew up near one of the three UFO capitals of the world we are said to have here in our state. So we have three different cities that all claim to be the UFO capital of the entire world. If they could say universe, they'd probably get away with that as well. But I remember in high school hearing about these UFO sightings not too far from my hometown of Eau Claire. So I started traveling to Elmwood and interviewing people. And then I happened to start studying psychology that fall at college and joined the Mutual UFO Network. Mm. And UFOs were my love back then. They were number one on the, the list of you know, weird things. And so when I started studying psychology at college, I was really interested in why some people believe in all this stuff and others do not, or why they're seeing it and others are not. So I was interested in human perception and belief systems and and then um, I'd present these findings at research symposiums at the university and people would come up after and say, I need help. My home's haunted or I saw something in the woods I can't explain. Can you help me out? So early on, I shifted and ended up doing my master's thesis on students' belief in the paranormal. And I stopped really focusing on why they believe to what might actually be happening. Wow. And, and did you, after all that research, I mean, all even doing, you know, your, your, uh, you said your master's, I mean, did you find that there was a, a thing that you discovered where, you know, uh, about the people that, that tend to believe in the paranormal or were there any, you know, things like that? <laughs> yes, of, of course. And remember for a lot of your, your listeners, this was back in the, the days when this wasn't mainstream. I had several professors on my campus actively telling students not to participate in my research oh, wow. uh, uh, because th I was the P.T. Barnum of UW-Stout, wow. uh, which I thought was a compliment, you know, a poor man's P.T. Barnum, granted, because there's no one better than the master. But um, but it was really hard to even get the, the study going that luckily uh, my late advisor was a gentleman who was into the body-mind-spirit connection of psychology, and he saw the significance that this might add to the field in some small way. But um, 
but my findings were pretty interesting. And some of it was just common sense that I was looking at what students believed in and didn't believe in, believe in, but also what they thought was a possibility. So uh, obviously the findings were what you might think. If somebody saw a UFO, they were more likely to believe that they were real. If somebody saw uh, a ghost and had an encounter, they were more likely to believe ghosts were real than somebody who did not. But I was fascinated by the fact that just the idea that a loved one, a friend, a trusted family member, if they had an experience, that person would be more likely. So if my mother had a UFO experience, I would be more likely to believe in UFOs, even if I didn't have one. And that was interesting to me. And the second main one that I always talk about was the gender differences Mm. that men, statistically speaking, in my research, were more likely to believe in werewolves, vampires, sea serpents, things that I always thought were external, things you could hunt and kill. But women were much more likely than men to believe in the possibility of ESP, telepathy, out-of-body experiences things you might associate more with internal feelings. So I thought that was fascinating. And I always wanted to see if it could be replicated on a bigger scale, but I never got around to it. And I don't know if anyone else has ever uh, looked into that. that I mean, I, I've never heard that before. That, that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I I guess it kind of makes it. I mean, I can see how it makes sense, you know, like, you know, the, the guys are wanting to go after the things that they can you know, shoot a spear at and bring home to the cave or something. Yeah. You know? Who knows? But that's that's very cool. It's very cool. Um, so you started out with with that. Was there a time when it start you started to bring in like you know researching the different legends and the uh, the the cryptids as well, or is that uh, is that at the same time that that was going on? That was really early on. As I said, UFOs were my love back in those days. And when I was presenting at these research symposiums, which were mostly students, grad students, and professors, it was really boring statistical stuff. (laughs) I always joke to people like, you're glad you were not there. But people in the audience, as I said, would come up and have all these questions, comments, and they were looking for help and assistance. And that really broadened my interest in the field where Early on, I knew I was not going to just focus on UFOs and that's it. There were so many other different phenomena that were amazing um, that I got into crop circles, into haunted places and uh, cryptids, of course, and just weird psychic phenomena. So I think early, one of the biggest influences I had when I was starting out is I picked up uh, Jerome Clark's The Unexplained. Sure. I think it came out in like 1993. I remember grabbing it and it was, if any of your listeners don't recall that, they need to get it. But also it was one of those books where every chapter was something different. Mm. So one night you could sit back and read about strange things falling from the sky. And then the next night, fairy lore, and then a mermaid sighting. It was just, it was amazing because you never got bored of anything because one chapter fled to the next and it was just really a big influence. Like uh, you don't have to specialize and later in life and last few years, I've been able to befriend uh, Jerry Clark 
and hang out with him quite a bit. And well, I say hang out, but it's mostly me sitting with my mouth open, asking him question after question. <laughs> like we're having a few beers uh, at Jerry's place. And I'm like, so tell me about this. Tell me about that. Tell me about this. And so many young people got into the field. They can name the TV people that influenced them because that's mm-hmm. just the generation where my generation, it was the authors. So, mm. you know, for example, we're sitting around at some Minnesota UFO conference and uh, I was there and Jerry Clark was presenting. And afterwards we went to um, a restaurant and uh, having a few drinks and uh, just listening to Jerry recount all the old time stories of when he edited fate magazine in Chicago. And just to give you an idea of how awesome it was, Jerry goes to the restroom and he comes back and, you know, we had had a couple drinks at that time. And he said, you know, the thing about hanging out with John Keel was this. And it was just (laughs) like, wow, just amazing. You know, I (laughs) fell off my stool and, um, you know, and Ugh. I didn't get to meet a lot of uh, in person like Brad Steiger or Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She wrote a forward to one of my books, but I never met her in person. So all these old time, I don't want to say old timers, but um, pioneers in mm. the field that are been doing it for 40 some years, 50 yeah. years, you know, Phyllis Galdi and Linda Godfrey and mm-hmm. uh, all these other magnificent experts. Uh, we can learn so much from them, but I think the generation today, uh, I get, I get more people saying, I saw you on this show than uh, I picked up your book. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, Cause you were, uh, you're in this uh, movie that's on Tubi and I was watching it and all of a sudden like they, uh, it was like uh, American monsters or that's not the title, but something like that. And like, you got some great talking head parts in there. I was like, yes, they're getting chat out in the open. Let's do it, uh, man. But yeah, I love this. You know, when uh, I see, uh, you know, people like yourself and David Weatherly and, you know, even Eli Watson was in it. It was mm-hmm. dude, great movie. Tubi is a good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, I should throw out Weatherly too. David Weatherly, oh, yeah. another pioneer in the field. And uh, he was at the Van Meter Festival, I think last year as a speaker and same thing just all day. Uh, talking with him and just he's just rattling off stuff and it's just a, such a learning experience oh he he's he's the coolest dude too like yeah. I, I able i was able to talk to him for a few minutes there and uh uh man when he when his iowa book came out i was pumped dude that's probably uh i mean it's it's if you're if you're talking about like cryptids across iowa i mean that's the only one we we got you know <laughs> yeah. except for the gold standard yes, the yes. visitor, right? But um, speaking of which let's, before time escapes from us, let's talk about the van meter visitor because mm-hmm. I mean, it has, I'm going to let you tell this story. So first off, let's see if, if there's a person listening to this and they're like, I don't know what the van meter visitors, what's your, your pitch as to what's the van meter visitor? What's the story behind that? Well, what it is, is a a fantastic question because it really Mm. compiles everything we love about folklore, mystery, history, guns. um, And (laughs) the Van Meter Visitor, I don't know. I think it's a giant bat-like creature. From descriptions, it was eight feet tall. It had a giant horn on its head. It could project light. It could erase memories. It was impervious to weapons. Um, but what it was, gosh, I, I really don't know. I, I think after 
so many years of this research, I'm left with more questions and answers on this thing. Um, when I first went there with my colleagues and co-authors, Kevin Nelson and Noah Voss on the book, mm. um, I thought it was going to be a quick in and out. We had some newspaper articles and obviously it was a hoax, had to be. Nothing like this could have been true. And we're going to get there and the historians are going to tell us, yes, you know, old so-and-so made it up. And uh, the exact opposite happened. And uh, I was thankful, but I really thought it was going to be one of those where uh, just one stop on a legend trip and we'd move on to the next case. So let's so you get into Van Meter and you're starting to ask around about, was there a certain point where you're like, wow, this is maybe a little bit bigger than we thought, or there's actually something to this. Was there, was it talking to a certain person or a certain interaction? I think it was one, and Van Meter's small, 900 people. The downtown has three or four businesses and that that's it. Um, so when we went into the small library, we met the library director at that time, Jolena Welker. Mm. And she was a wealth of information. She had heard of it, but didn't know much about it. Like a lot of the, the townsfolk, they kind of knew uh, just in passing about what it was. But she started digging up uh, stories about it and telling us that, you know, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so. They they were a young kid when some of these people that saw it were still alive. So we interviewed some of these old timers that, wow. you know, obviously weren't around when the story was happening, but they remembered the witnesses. And I remember one gentleman, Fletcher, told us that um, when he was talking about Clarence Dunn, the old bank manager, uh, at that time, he was the town mayor or something when and when this guy knew him. And he said, if he said it happened, it happened. Uh, everyone trusted his word. He ruled this town, you know, one of the mm. most credible people. So I think right away, we kind of just shoved off the rest of our trip and said, we're staying here because we had planned on a whole Iowa legend trip hitting graveyards and werewolf sightings and Van Meter was just one of those kind of anchors, but probably move on to some haunted bridge after it. But all of a sudden we said, nope, we're staying here. And by the time we finished those several days there on the way back, we thought we have to do a book on this, but what do we call the book? Because no, none of the newspapers kind of listed it as anything, a monster. They said a, a, a awful form, um, this creepy thing. And, and Kevin Nelson, my co-author said, you know, we're driving back. He said, well, what do we know about this thing? We know it came to Van Meter and it visited. So <laughs> we call it the Van Meter visitor. So uh, Kevin, cool. yeah, coined the term. And I, I think it's very fitting because it doesn't, you know, it's not the Van Meter flying monster or anything, you know, it could be anything. And I'm amazed at how many people contact me saying, this is what I think it was or is. And I say, you might be right. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, oh, man, that's I didn't know the story behind the naming of of the crypto that, that that Kevin did. That's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, do you have any favorite theories about the, the visitors yourself? I do. I, I don't know if I subscribe to this one as much as okay. some people, but I love it. And the idea is kind of like a real life descent horror movie. Oh, because uh, back in the in the days. <laughs> Uh, in Iowa, there was a he in Van Meter. It was a heavy coal mining town. Mm -hmm. I mean, several train cars a day left with coal out of the Iowa mine um, that 
were they were mining there. It was several hundred feet deep. They had tunnels and teams of uh, donkeys down there. It's a big to do. And being that this thing seemed to be nocturnal, it was only spotted at night. A lot of people back then theorized that it had been let out of the mines, that it had been trapped down in the earth like some demonic form, and it came up into the night uh, because of the coal mining, that the tunnels released it. And I love that theory just because, I mean, it has everything of a B-horror movie. Mm -hmm. This old abandoned coal mine on the outskirts of town that's boarded up, nobody wants to go there. All of a sudden, a giant monster's on the loose, and the town gathers a posse, thinking it's coming from this forbidden place off in the the distance. Which, when you go to Van Meter and you see that the brick and tile factory in the mine was only a couple, or is only a couple blocks from the main town, but mm-hmm. yet at that 1903, it may as well have been five miles. That's a really, I never thought of that before. That's a really good point, Chad, because I mean, obviously not all the stuff is probably there in the town as it is today. Yes. And and this was a farming community. Yeah. Um, Remember these were mostly farmers or some ranchers, but it wasn't like Des Moines. It wasn't a big metropolitan city of, of sorts, even for Iowa. So it was a very rural place. Most of the people would have been probably armed at the time, would have been on <laughs> horse and buggy. Uh, this is sort of wild, wild west. And a lot of people, you know, think of the Van Meter Visitor as the real life Cowboys versus Aliens, oh, the movie yeah. that came out. I mean, it's kind of the, the right. same thing. It, the thing I love about Van Meter is that when I go to the fest, we'll talk about the festival in a bit, but when I go to the festival every year, um, I, I always, I hear some new theory and there's some, there's so many interesting theories. I mean, last year we had, uh, was Josh heard, right. And he had the documentary, um, about, uh, um, they they saw some ufos in the skies above van meter and there's some people that say well maybe there's ley lines that that are under the the town um it's just man uh, it, it's a it's an evolving story and i love that uh, it's my favorite regional cryptid you know i'll uh i mean who would have like thinking over over the last few years you know go back in time a few years and just for context what year round was this when you first started um looking into the legend and going out to van meter for the first time oh great question must have been 10 years ago 11 somewhere around there because the festival's been going about eight and it took us a few years to research it so probably about 10 or 11 years so 2010 ish i mean and look I'll, i'll just i'll throw out a few things here so 10 years ago and now we got like here's an enamel pin we got a van meter visitor enamel pin someone made cryptozoes we got uh cryptic comforts makes lisa makes a uh van meter visitor plushie i don't know if you remember this guy yes i love it and and that's a glow in the dark horn just for fun there so and metazoo metazoo has the van meter visitor this is their paul bunyan card but uh they make a van meter visitor card playing and there's um, there was a play done in Iowa on the Van Meter Visitor. Was there really? Several years ago, I forget no what town it was in. It was at a college. And the Ugh. professor contacted me and said, 
you know, can we use your book for the play? And of course. Oh my goodness. And I wanted to go there, but they were doing it in the fall, October. That's my busy speaking season. So, but yeah, I I don't think they ever recorded it, but that would have been awesome to see. And that kills me knowing (laughs) that, like, how was that just a few years ago or? Yeah. Within the last five years, definitely. I, I'm just going to hope that's before I started the podcast and really got into this. Cause if I miss that, Oh, I will never <laughs> be able to sleep. Like that's awesome that someone made a play about the van meter visitor though. Has there been an experience that's happened over the last few years that because of you looking into this legend where you're like, wow, that's weird. Or I totally didn't expect that to happen in my life. Or I think all of the, the shows that are interested in the visitor because it's just so bizarre. It just stands out that um, I remember just uh, during COVID I filmed uh, Josh Gates's expedition, whatever his new show is. X. Yep. Yeah. And we filmed an episode filmed for two days there, told them the whole story, ran them through, introduced them to the owner of the land. And um, their conclusion at the end of their show was that it was a regular size bat that was uh, a light had projected it against the wall yeah. and it was like the shadow of the bat. Shadow of the bat. Yep. Yeah. Which so many people contacted me and were laughing about that, that say it's unknown, say it was just a big Turkey vulture or something, but yeah, a shadow. I mean, very uncreative, you know, and I've seen that episode and uh, you know, I'll let viewers view it and make their own, you know, decisions about it, but it is very cool how they got access to the, um, the tile factory that was above the mine. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is very cool to, because, you know, we want to point out that if you listen to this episode and you're like, wow, I want to go look for the van meter visitor and, oh, it's just in that field. Now that's private property and you just Mm -hmm. can't go over and start rummaging around and trying to find where the mind is yourself because, uh, that's an actual property owned by a, a farmer in Van Meter, and I don't want you guys to get in trouble or worse. So, <laughs> and that was fascinating when we first went there. It was an old time farmer that owned the land. His son okay. now owns it. Rest in peace. He passed, but sure, um, he was very uh, excited to show us around, and he told us. And this oh, wow. was this no nonsense Iowa farmer, down to yep, earth, yep. wasn't prone to flights of fancy. And he said, "Here's where the opening used to be." Uh, I remember as a kid and it was just covered over. You wouldn't even know it was a little hill. You wouldn't even guess that it was a mine opening, but he said, even as a young kid, I didn't like playing near it because it gave off this weird presence. Like something was just wrong. And unfortunately, once the story broke, so many curious legend trippers made their way onto his property that he was really sour about the whole thing. Mm. And, um, but now his son owns it along with uh, the daughter. And I had spoken with her several years ago about uh, doing the possibility of letting people camp there. And she was kind of open to it because a day doesn't go by where someone doesn't contact me saying, we want to open up the mine. How can we do it? And they really? don't realize it was, it was probably flooded in so bad yeah. uh, now, but so the TV show did dig, uh, at least superficially, yep. uh, digging at where they thought the entrance was. And that was a huge progress of movement for me that they allowed them to do that. So it's coming from the point of, you know, upset about people being on the land to maybe there's stuff worth exploring here. Mm. 
That is a lot of really interesting information I didn't know, and I am unpacking that for about two mm-hmm. seconds, and then we're going back into it. That's really cool, Chad. Um, oh, I always love you know, so, so I live within t- I live close to Van Meter. Let's say that, and um, sometimes I'll drive past the town, and I'll you know just drive down the the road, turn around by the field, and it's yeah. so cool. Like you can imagine something huge swooping over the the field and you're like man one of these days i know i'm gonna see something swooping up there but uh it's such a cool little town uh, you know the the one of the coolest things about the town i think um uh, is how they've embraced it by having a festival every year and um what can pe- you know i talk about the festival a lot but what can people expect from the festival this year i mean it's it's uh, 924 but what kind of things do we have going on uh this year that makes it kind of cool everything you'd expect at a festival of this nature speakers vendors food drinks uh and of course walking tours and what i love about van meter mm. is that unlike a lot of other festivals i've been to which are amazing whether it's mothman festival or down in roswell is that the Van Meter town has really stayed the same over the years that Mm -hmm. this walking tour, you're walking just several blocks where you can point out where they shot at the monster. This is the bank vault where they shot out the front window of the bank shooting at this monster. And you walk two blocks out to the uh, old abandoned coal mine area. So you don't need a great imagination to wonder what it would have been like in the early 1900s because you kind of see what it was like. And, for me, that's the best part because the festival's right where they experience things. Um, you know, not like uh, Mothman, which I love their festival, but all the activities happen way out by the TNT area, the the domes and the festivals in the downtown, um, which is makes sense because you have to when you get that many people coming. But oh, yeah. Van Meter sticks out in the fact that you can go walk into the bank vault. And say, okay, this is where he shot out the front window. It's just, you know, point up to a building and say, that's where they saw it. You know, erase someone's memory. So it's just so fun. And again, it has all the hallmarks of a traditional festival, uh, things people want, the vendors, uh, as you said, uh, cryptid toys and shirts and all that. Oh, yeah. But, but also the history, the history and mysteries combined in as well. And also the, the cool thing this year, that's so it's in the uh the veterans hall so thanks to to them for allowing the festival to be in it this year um they have a mini bar so <laughs> you can as you're walking around the festival well i well, i'm going to i know that you can get a drink at the festival i i'm not going to assume anything else but you will be able to to purchase something from the uh the bar at the veterans which is pretty cool we didn't have that before so and the town's cool. one bar and restaurant makes a sp- special van meter visitor cocktail if you're yes. into that mm-hmm. and i think they have a non-alcoholic one as as well so you're covered on all ends of you know drinking a visitor drink and that was the first year the uh, one bar did that it was so amazing to be uh, just that that just that's what folklore is about yes uh, you know enjoying this on all areas and i think that's what the festival does with uh, with having a lot of fun 
Oh, for sure. And yeah, you know, I'd always heard that like, oh, you go to the Mothman Festival, you get the Mothman pizza from a certain restaurant. I was like, Van Meter needs to do something like that. You're killing me. And then Mm -hmm. when Fifth Quarter, the restaurant came out with the uh, Van Meter visitor drink last year, I was like, yes, this is awesome. Go for it. (laughs) So the thing is, is like, you know, if people are wanting to to visit Van Meter, uh, Van Meter is not going to be small forever. It's like, so living so close to this town, it's starting to grow. And this mm-hmm. is going to be regional Iowa stuff for some people, but it's like, you know, there's a huge on-ramp being built on the highway to go to Van Meter right now. Uh, it's the next town to become a bustling town in quotes for Iowa because West Des Moines is huge. Van Meter's next. Uh, it may not be small forever. So don't miss the chance to kind of step into the world of, of regional cryptid before, you know, they've, they're starting to uh, talk about putting in uh, bigger schools for Van meter. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's uh, the future is bright for that town, but right now is, you know, the perfect time to see how it looked in the time of the the visitor. And man, that town needs a statue. I'm just going to throw it out, but that's just me, but it needs a visitor statue. That would be that would be cool, I think. But it does. It needs a statue, a mural, something. Because oh when you goodness. drive there, you think, "Where's the visitor?" I mean, yeah. outside of the festival. Yeah. Uh, if you're just there in you know June, you're like, "Is am I in the right place?" There's nothing here. What do I do? Right. And so they definitely need it. And you're right that ten years from now, it's going. Van Meter is going to be West West Des Moines. Yeah. I mean, you can't buy you can't buy a house. So that area, Chad, where it's like um, the old Van Meter houses are so expensive, you would have no idea. It's like it's really hard to get in there. But all right, let's get out of regional Iowa for a second. So one of the more uh, fun parts of the legend that you always bring up is how there was a footprint. Yes, Do you think and I, I want to ask you. Um, do you think that will ever be found? So the story goes that after the bank manager shot out the front window of the bank at night, you know, he barricaded himself in waiting for the safety of daylight. And when he came out, he was expecting a robber, a dead guy out there, or at least some animal, fur, feathers, blood, something. And there was nothing, just absolutely nothing but glass shards all over. But he walked to the side of the building, and there, according to the newspaper, he saw several giant three-toed tracks in the mud. Mm-hmm. And it was said he took a cast of at least one of these prints, maybe more, uh, maybe none, but they said he took one. So it's never been found, and we had hoped that when the book came out, someone in California would be rummaging through their attic and find great-grandpa's things and say, wow, look at this. And when I called the the historical society, the state branch in Des Moines of yeah. Iowa and asked them if they had such a artifact on hand. Uh, they said they didn't. And they were very skeptical that it could even last that long unless it was under uh, preserved under great conditions. And we don't know what he would have casted it with, uh, you know, what material they would have used. It was never mentioned. So the odds of it lasting a hundred and almost 20 years now mm, without being under yeah. some protection, <clears throat> yeah. uh, iffy, iffy, but we had hopes and we still have hopes that maybe not the, the three toed print, the cast, but maybe somebody's journal, uh, because 
out of oh, all man. the places I've ever been to, Van Meter has the least amount of records from its history. We know mm. that during, before, during, and after the sightings, Van Meter had its own newspaper, but nobody's ever seen a copy. And not just during that time, but a copy in general. Um, wow. You know, they don't have photos of what the, what the street was like in 1903. Where were all the businesses? Because it had a couple hotels. It had some saloons. It had all sorts of businesses, many more than it has today, but mm-hmm. there's no records of it. It's like the town said, oh, there's nothing here to you know document. Let's just move on. It, it always gets me how at that point in history, there are way more businesses in Van Meter. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the way it was. And um, I, I want to check. I want it. Well, actually, before I, I, I forget, I do want to mention. Uh, I will be, uh, Chad was nice enough to, to ask me to speak at the Van Meter Visitor this year. Um, I'll be speaking at what I found, what I'm currently finding right now about the Iowa Bigfoot Information Center from the 1970s. So if that sounds interesting, and there's so many more speakers too, uh, Laura Cram will be talking about Thunderbirds and way so much it's worth the trip if you're within a few hours to go to uh the van meter visitor festival and i think this year it's like two bucks to go in it's super deal but um that's my plug for it and i'm interested in your program because i had never heard of that organization at all i have no idea what you're talking about so i'm so fascinated i know your program i really want to just talk about right now but i'm not gonna (laughs) because i don't want to like so the only people that know about it are in the, the Patreon. And then um, I'm going to just blow the lid off of it uh, at the festival. So I'm waiting until then, but it's going to be awesome. Yes. Um, I do have to ask you, though. So you constantly have people, um, you know, sending you emails, I would guess, about the visitor, about Iowa stuff. Do you have any new, you know, have you gotten any new reports about uh, the the visitor or s- flying things or anything cool that you can share um if if not that you know if you can't share that's fine but yes of course um i've received a lot of flying stuff mainly Mm. in the region uh not specifically in van meter for instance a few years back now a pastor Mm -hmm. uh, contacted me and he was in colfax iowa which is about 40 minutes maybe an hour from van meter um if I remember correctly. And he was waiting for a buddy out in the country, had an appointment and he's just sitting there waiting. And he looks up into the sky and he sees what appears to be a dragon. He's fully convinced this is a dragon right out of a Hollywood TV movie or whatever. And uh, so when his friend comes, he tells him about it and the guy gets home and he Googles, Iowa dragon. And of course the Van Meter visitor pops up and he's like, yep, that's what I saw. That's it. So he contacts me and Um, he saw something like that. I've spoken with many people who have had encounters like that, but not in Van Meter. Although there have been recent, semi-recent reports in Van Meter. I talked to a guy at a festival a few years back in Van Meter who said he moved there in the 1980s and he was walking out in that area with his dog Mm. at night, never heard of the visitor. When all of a sudden his dog started acting strange, he looked up and there was about a four foot bat hovering flying over him you know biggest bat he had ever seen bigger you know wasn't that eight foot creature that there was reports of but 
those who know the story will quickly point out that on the last night that the visitor was spotted, it had a smaller version of itself with it. So after four nights on the fifth night, all of a sudden there were two of them. And the smaller one may have been the offspring or the female gender of the species. I don't know. So the possibility of this being a, a young Van Meter visitor, if you will. But he said the dog was so frightened that he didn't walk the dog out in that area at all. And then uh, more recently, a guy moved to the area. As you said, there's a huge influx of people moving there. Definitely. And he was driving home on the main road outside of Van Meter by the old cemetery, the veterans cemetery there. Yep. And over on the side of the road, he thought was a dead man in a bat costume. And it was getting dark. He had his wife and children in the back. And he's thinking, I'm not stopping for this. <laughs> uh, you know, but he swore it would look like a man, a size of a man, but a bat l just laying there in the, the gully on the, the side of the road. So wow. he drives home and it just irks him all night. He's thinking about it. I should have stopped, should have stopped. Um, and so he goes back in the morning and it's gone. <laughs> obviously the thing is mm. no longer there uh, if it was ever there in the uh, beginning. So uh, Kevin Nelson, one of my colleagues, and I <laughs> always have a rule that if we're on a legend trip and somebody's like, Oh, what was that in the yard? Like maybe it's a weird barn or a car or a uh, roadkill. You immediately turn around. There's no like debating. Should we go back and see yeah. what that was? It's just immediately you spin around and 99% of it time. It's just, Oh, okay. That's what it was. Uh, but that, that offshoot, because, you know, how many times have I been on a road trip where at the end, I'm like, you know, we should have went back an hour ago, but now we're way too far. Right. Um, exactly. So that's one of my uh, legend tripping rules of the road. Oh, that is, that's awesome. And I'm sure I have a few listeners that are, are thinking this legend tripping thing sounds really cool how do I do my own legend trip? What are the other rules? What do I need? Uh, is that something that you can maybe share a little bit about? So, so many people contact me saying, how do I get into this field? How mm. do I go about researching? And for me, the number one rule is there are no rules that yeah. you have to find a way that you like doing it. And if you like using a ton of equipment to help you along, great. If you don't, great. If you're there, not necessarily to interview witnesses or document anything, you're there just to experience the legend, see if something happens. And if it doesn't, you're off to the next one. Great. There's no real way to do this. Um, and I found early on for me that it was very important to shift from when I first got into this field, like probably a lot of people. You know, I thought this is going to be easy. I'm going to solve some cases, figure out what's going on. No problem. And early on, I shifted and said, that's not going to happen for me. That's just not in the cards. Um, so I better see this as an adventure. I better have fun with it and see it as a, a legend trip, hitting the back roads, stopping at roadside attractions. Because so many people who started out in this field when I did, they burned out a long time ago because mm -hmm especially when you're in haunted places, 99% of the time you're there, nothing happens. And it's, okay. it's not the sexy TV show version of it. It's boring, <laughs> uh, terrible stuff. So, you know, when you do this year after year and for a lot of people, nothing happens, 
you know, you burn out on it very quickly. So I shifted uh, early on to seeing it as an adventure. So for me, that's the number one thing. Do it the way you like. If there's a, a paranormal group in your area that is, you know, has all these rules and all these things you must follow and you don't like that, don't do it that way. Uh, nobody's forcing you and there's no real one way to do it because for me, at least it's all speculation. I don't mm. have any answers in this field. I have a lot of research, know a lot of knowledge about folklore, but you know, when you say, ask me what Bigfoot is, I have no idea. <laughs> never seen one, never captured one can tell you what a, a black bear is like. I've encountered them on hiking, you know, but so I think sometimes people get caught up in that I have to do it the same way everybody else does, that I don't have $10,000 to spend on equipment, so why even get involved? Where I always tell people some of the best research in the paranormal was done by candlelight, sprinkling mm. flour on the floor to make sure nothing walked through your area. So I think people get dissuaded by not investing in equipment. And I really wish I would have invested uh, in the manufacturing side of equipment years ago. Oh my goodness. I'd yeah. be, you know, I'd be retired right now because, and I've never understood where a lot of this equipment is used to explain, especially in the ghost field. Like you'll buy a piece of equipment and they'll say, well, if this, uh, something triggers this, it's a ghost. Well, why isn't it a unicorn? You know, <laughs> what evidence do you have that it's a ghost? Uh, you know, I bet there are a lot of fairy folk that are upset because they're not in on the action. Uh, um, that's funny. So, yeah. yeah. So sometimes people rely too heavily on equipment and they're losing the fun. And I was the same right. way when I started. I'd have van loads of equipment. And it's different in the Bigfoot or cryptid field when you're setting up trail cameras and uh, infrared and the, and the like to try to capture some of this evidence. But sure. sometimes with hauntings, it was setting up so much equipment, monitoring it and breaking it down that I was missing out on the legend. I wasn't having any mm. fun that by the end of the night, it was like, okay, tomorrow we'll look at all this stuff we recorded and try to figure it out. And what was that legend anyway? It was an old joke. Um, Noah uh, Voss, Kevin Nelson, and I did a, a pilot, filmed a pilot episode for a sea monster show, a sea serpent show that obviously never got picked up. But we were on Lake Pepin, which is home to a creature yeah. called Peppy. There's a $50,000 reward for it. And we were filming for a couple of days, like long hours of just monotonous stuff over and over and over, like point point that way, but now turn your head different. <laughs> and our joke at the end of the night was that three people saw Peppy while we were busy filming, you know, that we right, didn't see right, anything. Yeah. We were too busy yeah. looking at uh, that, that three people saw it. Uh, so that was kind of the, the idea that you have to have fun with it. So that's my long answer to your question. Is that on YouTube? Uh, no, which is terrible because so the project didn't go and okay. They didn't make it, and um, I have a great ghost adventure story about our pro other project too. But anyway, um, that like project, the show Ghost yeah. Adventures. So oh, I'll get no back way. to that. <laughs> so, oh, Chad. So the oh. Sea Serpent one never made it, and I said, you know, I would like a copy of the demo reel, the yeah. sizzle reel. Yeah. Um, and a lot of time they'll share that with you and say, don't ever show it until it's either going, and then you yeah. can't show it, or it's failed, and then who cares. And they never sent it to me uh, um, because I would have loved to have seen how they, how yeah, they dude. did it. But 
That's yeah. terrible. Oh man. Okay, Ghost Adventures. Oh yeah. So yeah, this yeah. is years and years ago before okay. Ghost Adventures was on the air. That's how long ago it was. And wow. we filmed an episode out on the East Coast called uh, Legend Trippers. Okay. And it was a concept show where we would go to these alleged supernatural legends. And a lot of them would have a dare attached to them that you'd have to do something like sit on the cursed chair and you'd be pushed mm-hmm. off or yep. knock on a mausoleum. Anyway, so the the idea was we'd go there, tell the story of the legend, find somebody who did it, have them redo the dare uh, that they've experienced it. And then people that were watching would say, yeah, I want to go and try that. You know, I want to swim in that lake where the siren's supposed to drag you down. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So we filmed this whole thing. And and I think we spent like three, four days filming. And they pitched it. And it got into one station, one channel, really loved it. So it, wow. they had like 50 pitches. And it got cut to 25. We were in it. Got cut to 10. We were in it. Got t- cut to five. We were still in it. They called us and said, there's only us and one other show. Um that are competing and we're pitching it tomorrow afternoon. And, and then we got the call saying, well, they went with this other show because they had a full show already done and it was ghost adventure. Don't even, Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? So apparently whoever that guy in the main guy um, in ghost adventurers was a film student in LA or UCLA or LA or wherever Vegas and had filmed like a full length documentary type. Oh, wow. So they already had that in the can. And uh, I'm sure that wasn't the only reason, but they went with that show and um, ours uh, didn't wild. make it. It's, it was you versus Zach Baggins. Yeah. Yeah. And I lost. Wild, dude. Which it's not bad because my record with, I probably filmed 20 TV show pilots. Okay. And none of them have, have, have made it. So um, that's a, a pride I take that. If you want to doom your TV well, show, I'll, I'm your guy right here. In an alternate universe, you own a haunted museum in Las Vegas. So <laughs> yeah. there's that. That's true. Dude, that's 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 a crazy story, Chad. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, is there anything, uh, maybe any sneak peeks, anything cool that you're working on uh, for the horizon? Well, I'm finishing up right now, which kind of weird because it's just it's still the heart of summer the end of summer beginning of fall i'm finishing up my winter legends and lore monograph so mm. it's a smaller you know 95 page book because i'm really interested in these topics that probably couldn't fill a full book without adding a bunch of filler mm-hmm. but yet people are interested in but they don't want 400 pages on you know some of these legends combined so i'm doing a winter legends and lore which contains everything from krampus the Wendigo to wow. uh, New Year's Eve rituals and superstitions or how to influence whether you're going to have a snowstorm or not. Just all this old farmer's almanac lore as well. So, And then I'm doing something on circus legends and lore and nice. hobo legends and lore because I'm really on the edges of the paranormal. I like uh, adjacent, paranormal adjacent, where I like these legends that – don't fit into paranormal, but yet they have paranormal aspects to them. Where, like some of the circus stuff, uh, all kinds of circus stuff's haunted from phantom oh, wow. elephants to uh, circus barkers that are still uh, doing it from the grave, that type of thing. So that's what I'm really interested in, even though I think most people would 
uh, know my work from the haunted stuff I've done just because I've done so many books on haunted places in the U S but you know, um, my interests have really been expanding. Mm. That, that's, uh, that's going to be very interesting to see the circus books. That's cool. I love that. Uh, in the last few minutes we have, you know, I, I got to ask you, since you're a guy from Wisconsin, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the dog man, uh, cryptid? Yeah. So if you're not familiar, dog man creature, uh, at least the beast of Bray road, the right. one here originally in Wisconsin began when my friend and colleague, Linda Godfrey started receiving reports. She was a reporter in Elkhorn, a small Southeastern town in Wisconsin. And she started receiving reports of people traveling down this small stretch of rural road called Bray road. Hmm. And for lack of a better term, they were seeing what they thought was a werewolf the size of a bear, but shaped more like the wolf with the long muzzle, the deep, dark matted down fur, the claws, the fangs, you know, biped running upright on its hind legs. Sometimes it was eating roadkill or freshly killed prey. And it went from that to where it is today, where people are believing it's coming from portals out there, that it's coming in and out of our existence, wherever it's heading to, mm-hmm. whether dimension, time, whatever. And you know, people say it's very similar, if not the same thing as the Michigan dog man. Um, but traditional werewolf out of, you know, Hollywood of folklore, people were seeing it and, uh, Linda started interviewing them. And then like always happens, people come out of the woodwork with their own stories from all over the U S they started flooding Linda. And then other researchers, uh, started getting all of these reports of people seeing these werewolf type creatures. And now it may be as hot as Bigfoot, which. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm amazed at how many people contact me about the beast of Bray road and, um, and not just there, uh, the Michigan dog man and all over. Oh, wow. Dog man's just really popular right now. And then the ebb and flow of the paranormals. It's like that. When I first began, UFOs were the hottest thing. And then I remember I was just talking to a colleague the other day, where the heck are all the crop circle reports these days? <laughs> right. Like yeah. that just was like gone. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's cycles to this hauntings were big and then UFOs came back and now Bigfoot's gigantic and then vampires were big and now they've kind of cooled off. They'll be back. And so <laughs> I'm always fascinated by how these things uh, attract the general public's attention span and what people mm. are interested in. How can people uh, contact you if they have something uh, to report? Easiest way is just my website, Chad Lewis Research, or just okay. Google Chad Lewis. You'll find it. Um, but I always joke, like the easiest way is, as I said, just find the weirdest legend you know about. And that's probably where I am. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So, because I'm always traveling <laughs> and yeah. Chad, it has been super uh, awesome to have you on uh, the podcast. Uh, do you mind spending a few minutes, uh, you know, presenting how people can keep up to date with uh, what you're doing, how they can pick up your books, all that good stuff? Yeah, let's. Uh, you mean coming up or now or what? What's going on here? The I, whole, I don't know. the I don't whole, know. yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, my website has everything from where I'm speaking to new book projects. You can go to my YouTube channel, which is Supernatural Dares. Mm-hmm. I think I have like over 80 dares that I've done, which is probably a Guinness record. And I've done hundreds, but I've only filmed like 80 of them. Um, you can watch me, you know, 
test my bravery or be foolish and risk my life. So yeah, um, again, you, you're hard pressed not to find some of the stuff I've done. Great. And uh, really, you can get uh, your books. I know they're on Amazon. Uh, you can pick them up through your website, correct? Yes, if you Which want them probably signed. Be the, best, the best way, of course, if you want that Scram signed. Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> no. Sorry, Bezos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, if you uh, want to send Bezos yeah. back into space, uh, get it from Amazon. Oh but goodness. our website, um, if you can find a bookstore, and believe it or not, the best-selling place for all my books are tourist stops. Really? Uh, Ripley's Wisconsin, Wisconsin believe it or not, uh, the bestseller of my books in the entire world. Maybe the Ripley's in Florida sells a lot too, but um, in St. Augustine. But yeah, the tourist spots where you're not expecting books to be. But um, when you're a tourist and you're there, it's an impulse buy. Like, this sounds cool. We're here. Let's grab it. Exactly. And if you want to pick them up from the man himself, the Van Meter Visitor Mm -hmm. Festival is 924 coming up in beautiful Van Meter, Iowa. So don't miss it and pick up. Uh, I mean, last year you had all your books there. It was awesome, dude. Like I picked up a few good stuff, but Chad, thanks again uh, so much for coming on. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I uh, can't wait to see you in a few weeks. Uh, keep an eye out. Thanks for listening to the Bigfoot Society podcast. Please take a few minutes to review the show on iTunes five stars as it does help us get into the eyes and ears of more listeners on iTunes. Uh, That will help us just get bigger and bigger and get even better quality guests for future shows. Uh, Also, if you have any Bigfoot encounters or cryptid encounters, please send your stories and Uh, audio and photos, whatever you've got over to BigfootSociety at gmail.com. If you'd like to become more involved with Bigfoot Society and get some extra content, we do have a Patreon uh, where you can get all sorts of cool things. For example, for $7 a month, you get extra Bigfoot Society content, uh, usually interviews, but other things as well. You get a sweet membership card and a vinyl sticker that I send to you in the mail. You get access to the Bigfoot Society after show which is an extra interview after the main interview with the weekly guest. And usually they are up for uh, Patreon members to be in that extra show segment with them and me. And you get to ask your uh, question live to them and get an answer from the guest, which as you've seen what guest we've had in the past, this could be a really big deal. There's also a private discord where you can get involved with uh, talking to me one-on-one and the community there and that's always a great time you can find the patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the bigfoot society we're very thankful for all our supporters that we have in so many different ways and appreciate uh, all our listeners coming back week after week to listen to more cryptozoology based interviews Uh, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone. Thank you. A uh, really quick last-minute announcement. Uh, you have a month, about a month, to get to Van Meter, Iowa to listen to me speak 
live at the festival, 924, $2 to get in. I'll be talking about the Iowa Bigfoot Information Center and some other cool stuff as well. Wink, wink. Um, <clears throat> kind of sharing my research from around the state. Also, a uh, big thank you to Paranormality Magazine uh, and to all the listeners who nominated me for two categories uh, for the Paranormality Magazine Podcast Awards. So uh, voting is now open for that. If you could go over to paranormalitymag.com and vote for Bigfoot Society in the Best Cryptozoology Podcast category and the Best Interview Podcast category. Uh, now's your time to get over to paranormalitymag.com. I'm going to have it in the show notes as well. And vote for Bigfoot Society because a vote for Bigfoot Society is a vote for Bigfoot himself or, you know, this podcast that you listen to. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you and have a fantastic day or night or however you are listening to this. Whatever time. Okay, I'm out.